may be seated today. If you're here in person, I want to thank everybody who may be watching online and participating online today. Everybody doing okay? All right. Well, welcome this morning to New Life Church. If you're joining us uh, for the first time or watching for the first time or just may have not been with us the last couple of weeks, uh, we have been in a series this month of January called Imprint, The Image of Christ. And our goal today is to wrap that series up and uh, to finish that. And uh, I want to draw your attention. We've been hanging out in in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, so you can go ahead and get ready there, as well as in, at the end of the book, in Revelation chapter 2. Luke 2 and then Revelation chapter 2 is where we will be gaining our direction from the text today. Um, And in this series, we have, we've covered a lot, but We've really been digging in, and in, in Luke 2 primarily has been kind of our focus point, and uh, just showing the progressive formation of the life of Jesus and how that, um, how that relates to our spiritual growth here in our life today. And in this whole chapter, it shows us the, the progress. That in the early parts of this story, it shows him as a baby, and then it shows him as child, then it shows him as boy, and then it shows him as son. And so you see this graduated growth of the life of Jesus until he becomes what is known in the Hebrew, bar mitzvah, son of the law. That's what that means, bar mitzvah. And so a a place of time and a life of a person who has come uh, to a place where they are owning their walk, so to speak, owning their relationship with God. And you see that take place. And so this shows us that there should definitely be be evidence in our life that Jesus is growing in us and developing in us and taking us from these stages from spiritual infancy and to a place where we own our walk with the Lord and as we become responsible in our walk with Jesus that we can't, you know, be the kind of believers that try to ride the coattails of other Christians as it used to be said back in the day. Ride the coattails of someone else into heaven. That there comes a point in time where we will all be held responsible for our own faith. And this shows us that. This story of this formation of the life of Christ shows us that. So we've been pulling out different parts of this pattern in this this story and how that applies to us today. And that's what imprint means. It's an impression, an image that is impressed on something. And in our, in our case, we're talking about the image of Christ being impressed on us, leaving his mark in our life, that there is evidence in us. There will be evidence in me. There will be evidence in you that you walk with the Lord. You're growing with the Lord. You're developing and letting Jesus be greater in your life. And so, We're going to look here in Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at the the ending part of this story uh, with a message that I've titled today called Take Me Back. Take Me Back. Uh, If you're a listener of uh, Maverick City Music, uh, they have a song called Take Me Back. Uh, Depending on which version you pick, it can be from about 8 minutes to 15 minutes. Uh, But I would encourage you to look that song up and get lost in that for that long. And uh, take you back. And then we're going to talk about what that means. Luke chapter 2, verse 41 says, Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. 
And when Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. Then look at the last verse, verse 52. It says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. And so we see here, at this point in time, Jesus has grown, his family has grown, and it says every year they went back as usual. Every year they went back as usual. Now, for them, it was the Jewish law required that all male adults attend these festivals and this particular festival, the Passover festival. But notice how it became the pattern of their life, that every year they took Jesus back to the festival as usual. And, in, and as a result, you see there at the end, and when they would go back home and live, said that, that he grew. He grew. He grew in wisdom, mentally. He grew. He grew uh, in stature. He grew physically. It says he grew in favor with God. He grew spiritually. He grew in favor with people. He grew socially. So you see these various places of, of, of life, how he grew and how he advanced and how that certainly applies to our life today because they applied the usuals, if you will. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna dig into that a little bit today about the usuals of our faith and what, what some of the usuals are um, that we can't become too casual to. And, you know, when applied to our life, these usuals can lead to a life of change, a life of transformation, a life of, 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 of Christ becoming greater in us, becoming more in us, and who He is, the, His image being imprinted and made a mark on our life so that our life really can be totally different. I don't know about you, but as good as life can be at times and as good as maybe we can be in certain parts of our sweet spots of faith some moments, we all have our rare, raw, ugly, just breakdown moments of life. And, um, and that is where we need Jesus to be greater in us. Uh, obviously, the parts where we have it together, so to speak, that, that that's not an issue, uh, that's fine. We, we, we don't boast in that. But we're grateful that he's come and he's brought us a long ways. But there are other ash, uh, issues and, and, and aspects of our life where, where we know, man, if Jesus doesn't show up and change that about me, then life ain't going to be that good. I'm going to break some people. I'm going to hurt some people. I'm going to damage some relationships. I'm going to get fired from my job. You know, it just depends on kind of where you're at on the spectrum of certain things and certain parts of life. But Jesus comes to change us. Jesus comes to transform us. Jesus comes to make our life totally different. This isn't a religious game. This is a relationship with the living, the almighty, relational God who sent his son into the world to not condemn the world, but to save the world and to make our life different. Amen. Aren't you glad for that? But, you know, from time to time, though, if we're not careful, we can hit autopilot. We can hit cruise control, so to speak. And we can begin to kind of coast through life in a way where the activity of these usuals aren't fresh, aren't fervent, aren't passionate, aren't really working in our hearts and in our lives. And our love can kind of get dim and kind of grow cold and can lose its luster, so to speak. You know, and that happened actually to a church 
in Ephesus, the church at Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2. There's actually seven letters to seven churches. We've preached a series on that before. But I want to draw our attention to this particular church. Church at Ephesus was a booming church. Uh, if you, it would be in today's standard what would be called a mega church. Thousands of people following the Lord, walking in the way of faith. And here's what the angel of the Lord said through John the Revelator to tell them. Revelation 2 verse 2 says, the Lord speaking, saying, I know your works, church, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. You found them liars, and you have per- persevered and have patience, and you have labored for my name's sake, and you have not become weary. Not bad. Not bad. Pretty good. Pretty good marks. But he says this in verse 4, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. You have left your first love. He says, remember from where you have fallen. Repent and then do the first works or repeat the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So this church had a lot of things going on for it, good. But what was missing was their first love. And then he tells them, but hey, you don't have to stay in this place. You can get back. You can take yourself back to your first love. And he says, remember. Tells them three things. Remember. Remember what it was like when you just loved the Lord and nothing else mattered. Then he says, hey, think about that. Remember that. Call that to your, remo- your, your memory what it was like. And then he says, hey, but then to get back, you've got to also repent. You've got to change your mind to go back to that place. Then he says, when you do, then just repeat the first works, if you will, or what I will, what I will liken them to are the usuals. Repeat the usuals. You know, there are some usuals in the Bible that, that God's Word highlights and talks about that, that would, just can't be forsaken. There are some usuals in the Word that we just can't live without practicing. And without, when that happens, then what happens is that first love fire stops burning. It stops burning. And the passion leaves, the fervency leaves, the zeal leaves, the willingness to make sacrifices leave. All of those different types of things can happen. But like in verse 42 in in Luke 2, every year, as usual, they were taken back. They were taken back to the usuals, to the first love. And that's what I want to talk about in the remaining time we have today. I want to talk to you about some first loves that we need to make sure we're always taking back to. The first one. Take me back. To my first love of Jesus. Take me back to my first love of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was asked, What is the most important commandment? Out of all of them, what's the most important one? And he answered this in verse 37. He said, You must 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. He said, this is the first and greatest commandment. Then he says, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says this in verse 40. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. What is the most important thing you can do with your life? First, love Jesus. Love Jesus with everything. Love Him with your heart. Love Him with your soul. Love Him with your mind. Love Him with your strength. Love Him with your life. But make sure you love Him first, not last, not down the line, but love Him first, He said. This is the first and greatest commandment. You want to please God with your life? Don't just go through the motions. Don't just do things half-hearted for Him. But love Jesus with everything. Keep that first love fire burning. Don't love Him with just part of you. Love Him with all of you, is what He says. This year will be, this summer will be 30 years since I first found, discovered the love of Jesus. 30 years. I remember that night, just as clear as day, when I was in that small Nazarene church in West Helena, Arkansas, that after the preacher preached and invited us to the altar, I got out of the pew, walked down the aisle, and fell on my knees at the old wooden altars that were padded at that time. And all I remember is crying and just letting Jesus wash over me and flood me. It was like my life was flushed with an IV. You ever been dehydrated? So bad where you have to have a, an IV hooked up to you, and then, it, and then it doesn't take a whole long time, and that IV starts flushing through your body, and everything starts to change. You feel alive again. You feel alive again. And that's exactly, I remember that day. I remember going back to school that fall. I loved everybody. I loved the people that I never sat next to at lunch. I loved the, the, the kids in, in, that I didn't really hang out with, that people, other kids got on my nerves. I, I was talking and loving everybody. It didn't matter who you were. I just loved you. I just remember the love of God was so fresh in my heart. It didn't matter what was going on. People that cussed me, I loved them. People that didn't like me, I loved them. People that talked about me, I loved them. Fast forward, there are some people I don't like. Religion has taught me not to like people. But Jesus never teaches us that. His love always teaches us to love and forgive and let things go. That doesn't mean you've got to be buddy-buddy with everybody who offends you and hurts you. But here's the thing. You can move forward without, hurt, without, uh, without living with that in your heart. And it just didn't matter. It's not just about people. But I just remembered love was so real, so tender, so raw, so fresh in me. And then, like this church at Ephesus, we can get caught up in our good works. We can get caught up in our, in our point system. 
We can get caught up in our performance system. We can get caught up in our level of productivity, thinking we can do this and God will love me more, thinking if I do that, God will love me more, thinking if I do this, God will open up more doors for me. While there are some strategic principles of God's word of faithfulness and diligence, but that does not apply to how much he can love us. You cannot love us any more or any less based on what we do or what we don't do. His love for you will never diminish. And his love so fresh. And that's that, that, that church at Ephesus to be taken back to their first love. What about you? Do you remember your first love? I'm not talking about your crush on a person. I'm talking about your first love for the Lord. There's some in our church, some of you watching, some of you here today, that first love was just in the last couple of years. Others, your first love was way before my time. But think about it. Do you remember your first love? We're challenged to remember our first love and to be always be taken back to that. Here's another one. Take me back to my first love of church. Take me back to my first love of church. Came across a a poll recently. Gallup poll did this. They did a a poll on rating Americans' mental health, primarily comparing it to 2019 to 2020. Anybody remember 2020? And they showed the percentage points of did their mental health go down or did it improve? And there were seven different types of groups, demographic groups that they rated from gender to political party affiliation um, to religious service attendance to race, marital status, age group, and your household income. Every single one of those demographic groups had a decrease in mental health from 2019 through 2020 except for one. The only one that saw an increase of improvement of mental health was the demographic group of those who attended religious service weekly. In fact, one of the ones that had the greatest shrinkage decrease in mental health was those who, well, those who had a tie to putting their faith in politics. Then the second one was ones who made a lot of money. People who made a lot of money saw the lowest decrease in mental health. But all of them show a negative decrease in the overall mental health, except the ones who attended weekly service. And it doesn't name the type of weekly service, it just says a religious service. I got saved in the church, baptized in the church, filled with the Holy Spirit in the church. My greatest friends are in the church. Learned to pray and study God's word in the church. Learned to use my gifts and talents to serve the Lord in the church. My calling to ministry was affirmed in the church. And I never want church 
to be about a religious duty or a checklist because church is so much more than that. Church is vibrant, relational, spiritual, emotional, powerful. Church is life-giving, eye-opening, life-changing, convicting, challenging, sacrificing. Church is imperfect, yet the church is also family. Without the church opening its door to me, I would be so lost, so confused, so, di- so out there. I have no idea what I would be doing. But if the church didn't open its door to this lost soul nearly 30 years ago and begin to teach me and show me and disciple me and mentor me and show me the example of how to live a life of faith, I would be jacked up, really jacked up. I'm already a little jacked up, and I love Jesus, and I still got some jacked upness going on. (laughs) That just shows you how good Jesus is. He tames that jacked upness down. But the church, I'm not talking about just the, the idea of church. I'm talking about the life flow of God in a church and the family of faith that is presented. In the spirit of Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25, I want to encourage you. It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another in acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. Encourage one another. Encourage one another. Especially now that the day of the Lord's return is drawing near. I don't read that to shame anybody or condemn anybody. But I read it to just share in the spirit of what it is to motivate and to encourage. To motivate and to encourage us to love being together as the church. And I want to say that to motivate and encourage anyone here or anyone watching We would love for you to be with the church more. And I say that to say this. I don't expect everybody to just rush the church doors next Sunday just because I said this. All right? But I do pray and ask and and, and encourage that you would at least be open more to, hey, especially if you haven't been to church in a long time or inconsistent, seriously, I say that to encourage and to motivate you because of what God can and wants to do through the local church and in your life. Here's another one. Take me back to my first love. Everybody with me? Everybody with me? Take me back to my first love of the word and prayer. 
Hebrews 4 tells us that, in verse 12, that the Word of God is alive and powerful. The Word of God is alive and powerful to change my life. Preacher Christine Kane says, or was noted for saying this, Jesus saved my soul, the Word of God saved my mind. God's Word is alive. God's Word is powerful to really, literally change our life. In fact, it's bread, it feeds you. It's water, it quenches you. It's light, His Word guides you. It's wind, His Word will move you. It's sharp, His Word will cut me in order to change me. God's Word is alive and powerful to change our life. It does that, and, and it, there's so many more analogies about what God's Word has, it has the capability of doing in our life. Take me back to my first love of His Word. I remember uh, Psalm 119.11, the first verse I ever really truly memorized besides John 3.16, I will hide your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you, Lord. It's amazing what God's Word has the power and the capability of doing. When you find yourself in situations of life, and you have that Word of God down in you, then the Holy Spirit can draw it out of you and use it in that moment. Use it in that situation. Use it in that season of your life. His Word does all of those things. But Paul, the Apostle, also writes to the Philippian church in chapter 4, verse 6, talking about praying. Many different things about prayer from the Gospel of Matthew throughout the whole New Testament about praying. Paul says, you know what? We just need to really be able to pray about everything. He says, pray about everything. Pray about everything. And when you pray about everything, he says, then there's this great exchange between you and your heavenly Father. That when you pray to God and you release unto Him whatever it is you're praying for, praying for a person, praying for a situation, praying for a need, praying for direction praying for provision, whatever it might be. He said, pray about everything. That when we really pray and we, we release that to God, what happens is this exchange happens. And in exchange for releasing those needs unto the Lord, God then gives us His peace. And He says, His peace will guard your hearts and your thoughts as you live in Christ Jesus. Anybody ever have perplexing moments? Anybody ever feel like you're at a crossroads and you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. Maybe you're in a situation with a person and you're like, man, I don't, I don't know what to say to them right now. I don't know how to handle this right now. But when we pray and we release these things to God, Paul says God's peace comes upon us to guard, as you've got to look at that word, guard our hearts and our minds as we live in Christ Jesus. Take me back to my first love of the Word and prayer. And here's the thing. We have to find a rhythm and develop a habit that would get us in God's Word and 
moments to pray with Him. Here's the thing. Don't, think, don't look at it as a way where you've got to lock yourself into this time frame of a box and say, in order to really do it well and do it right and get everything that I need to do for the Lord, I've got to spend X amount of time every day to do that. Now, there are moments that we, knew that we really do need to carve out some special time. That's why we take these 21 days as a church to pray and to fast, that in that 21 days, the hopes is we would take some special time to carve out, to really, truly spend some special time seeking the Lord and getting into His Word. But in on as a daily routine, we need to find that rhythm and develop that habit that would get us in the Word every day. In our day and time, there's absolutely no reason why none of us who follow the Lord can't have some kind of something working in our life to get us in His Word. We have so many apps on on your smartphone, so many apps out there, podcasts, whatever it is, that read the Bible to you even, and walk you through it. There's absolutely something for all of us that we can actually attach ourselves to to develop a habit and find a rhythm. And that's the thing I want you to understand is find the rhythm that works for you. Find a rhythm that works for your relationship with Jesus, that you can connect with Him, and you can walk with Him, and you can talk with Him. And you can be with him. Find that because that helps the usual. It keeps that fire of our first love burning. And then lastly, lastly, everybody ready for the last one? Take me back to my first love of serving and giving. You know, God has put natural and spiritual gifts and talents and value on inside every single one of us for His purpose. That when used for Him, that those gifts and those talents and that value will not only bring us self-fulfillment, but it will also help to fulfill His purpose on the earth and be of service to other people. And here's, here's the thing. Don't let the agitations of this world disrupt what God has put inside of you that he wants to use for his purpose and be of help to other people. Please don't let you, your, your life be come to a place when the world is turned upside down that you do not do anything for the Lord. I know the word today is a little challenging, a little edgy, a little, little cutting. If I didn't challenge you, I, I, that means I don't love you, okay? And, I, and, I, and please, I hope you hear the heart and the spirit behind the message that I'm preaching today. My aim is not to just fill this church up. My aim is to see living people walk with the living Jesus. I want to see you and your families, all of you in your households, Serve the Lord. From generation to generation, I want to see the fruit of God's kingdom in your life. That would make me happy. And that it's happening in my life and it's happening in my home. That as for me and my house, all we would serve the Lord. And the enemy would like nothing better than 
for Christians to get agitated by the disruption of the world and to go back to being silent and to go back to being isolated and to go back to being in hiding and to go back and doing whatever except serving the Lord with the purpose that he put in our life. And I want you to consider as we begin this new year, consider how God would want to use the gifts and the talents and the value that he's placed in you to serve him for his purpose and to be of service to other people. Consider that. Take me back to my first love of giving. Giving. I'm going to share with you an acronym that I use in my life that I've shared with you as a church quite frequently, that one that has kind of developed over the last several years. But I remember when, when my first love, nearly 30 years ago, coming to Jesus, the pastors and the leaders were talking. I was going to church. They were talking about tithing, talking about giving. I'm like, what's, what's all that about? You mean i got to give the church my money? What are you talking about? I don't know that I want to do that. It didn't take long. They began, thankfully, they were good teachers at it and good models of it. They taught it in a healthy way. Then I got my first job. I started working. And from then on, I cannot honestly remember a time where I have not given at least 10% to the Lord. I don't say that to boast. I tell you that right now. And I will tell you this. There's been some times where it was so hard to give that that I thought I told the Lord, if I give that, then you're going to have to give me something because we will have nothing if I give that. And i got to be honest with you, every single time, God has never let me down. We have always had food to eat. We have always had clothes to wear. We have always been able to carry on. Here's the acronym. HOT. Give like it's hot. H. Honor God first. Honor God first. Put Him first by tithing. If you aren't at that 10% mark, I just want to encourage you, start somewhere and get yourself rolling and marking yourself to head that direction because you begin to see an operation of the kingdom work in your life that you have not seen before. But when we give to God first, it shows Him, hey, Lord, I honor you. You're first in my life. Money is nice. Things to have is nice. But those things do not own me. Those things do not, will not control me. God, I will honor you, and I do this to honor you and put you first. Oh, obey God. Follow the principles of the word to become better stewards all the way across the board. All the way across the board. Your time, your talents, and your treasure. Obey God. Follow the principles of His Word. His Word teaches all kinds of stewardship principles from not only saving but also paying debt and how to live within your means. All those different things. How to work. Be diligent. All those different things. Follow the principles of His Word to become better stewards. And I would just say if you need assistance in in helping to maybe establish some things in your life, Maybe you need to make some big changes financially with budgets or what have you, and you're just unsure what direction to take. There are great leaders in our church, great resources of people in our church who will sit down with you and talk to you and help you, and it will be 100% confidential. T, trust God. Honor God, obey God, trust God. This shows me that 
God is my source, and I cannot outgive Him. I cannot outgive God, no matter what. No matter what. God is our source, and we cannot outgive Him. Just when you think, man, you're going to give something great, something real personal, something that means a whole lot, and you do it, God turns around. At some point in time, He turns around. And you can't outgive Him. He will always show, not because He's in competition with us, but because He's our Father. And fathers always want to take care of their kids. At least the good ones do, right? And He's a good one. He's a good one. And with that church, I, I, I meant to say at the beginning of this whole message that it is heart for the house Sunday, and maybe you've remembered and I didn't, even though it's written right here on my paper. That heart for the house Sunday and One of the things we like to do at the beginning of the year is take a moment to just share with you financials from the previous year and projected financials for this new year that we are in now. And first and foremost, I just want to tell you, thank you so much, church. Thank you, everyone who is in person, those of you online who continue to be faithful and diligent to give your tithe and offering over the course of 2020. I'll share with you this slide and these areas that our, uh, our tithes and offerings went to, and these are all based on, on income, okay? The percentages are based on income. Ministry, 12% was, was uh, used there. Personnel, 67%. Outreach and missions, 12%. Facilities, 8%. In just a moment, as, when I, as I wrap up, Pastor Lindsay's going to come, and she's going to be sharing a detailed report about outreach and missions, particularly our Christmas blessing offering in this last year. I will tell you this, in quarter three and quarter four, uh, our board met uh, and we had to make some changes to our, uh, an adjustment to our budget. And we actually reduced our budget by at least 5% uh, based on the giving trend at that time and what we thought might happen for the last few months of the year so that we could operate and stay in the black and not go in the red. In other words, not spend more than we get. And so, uh, so we made those changes, and that's the numbers that you see there on the screen uh, or on that slide for the whole year. Uh, 2021, the board has met and approved this projected budget based on projected income through tithes and offering, ministry 17%, personnel 65%, outreach and missions 8%, and facilities 9%. Um, again, I remind you as a church that um, uh, this is 2021, so 2018, going into 2018, three years ago, just over three years ago, the church became debt-free. Uh, you remember that time uh, where we were nearly $1.3 million in debt, sold our property, moved here, followed the Lord, did some insane things, and here we are. And, and three years ago, roughly three years ago, the church officially became a debt-free church. Praise God. And we're remaining a debt-free church. So I think we should thank the Lord for that. Absolutely. A good God, a giving congregation, good stewardship, all attributes, and it does pay to have good people that work with us in leadership and help make these choices and decisions with me. And um, we're blessed. We really are. And church, again, I just want to tell you thank you for continuing to be faithful in everything that you do. 
Revelation 2, verse 5. Remember from where you've fallen, you left your first love. Repent and repeat the first works. One of the acts of worship that really helps us to do this is that of communion. Those of you in person here, I hope you already have your communion elements with you. Those of you at home, if you haven't gotten those yet, try to get that together. We're going to come together as a church and partake of communion. These are prepackaged, so nobody's like touched anything. representing the body of Christ that was broken for us, the cup of juice representing the blood of Jesus that was shed for all of our forgiveness, for the forgiveness of our sins. And it helps us to remember. In fact, Jesus said, as often as you eat and as often as you drink, remember him. And remembering him helps us to remember our first love, that we can be taken back to that first love of Jesus and Let me pray with us and then we'll partake. Lord God, thank you so much. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. That our minds still struggle to compute and comprehend. But we are thankful your love is real. Your love is tangible for us. And I pray today that everyone would feel that love. Know that love. Be called back to that love. That as we come today to take the bread, which is the body of you, Lord, broken to make us whole, and the cup of the new covenant, your blood shed for our forgiveness to free us, to free us, to redeem us, to make us your own. Today as we take these, we will remember. We remember you. Jesus, we remember the first love. Take us back, oh God, today. Take us back where we have journeyed off track, isolated ourselves, disconnected, feel distant in whatever capacity. Right now, take us back. Renew our love. Renew our first love and make it fresh again in us just like the beginning. In Jesus' name, amen. Take the bread, and then when you finish that, you can take the cup.